This is Dave Burnett. I want to welcome you to today's God's Family Plan podcast. Today's podcast features my wife, Kathy. Her message for today is Bleeding Kansas, its meaning for America today. And now, here's Kathy. During our recent journeys, while traveling through northeast Kansas near the Missouri border, Dave and I repeatedly passed highway signs that pointed to the site of the Meredith Massacre. Although born and raised in Kansas, I don't remember hearing about that massacre in history class. Finally, when we came to the signs for the eighth time, we decided to turn off the road and go take a quick look. As we followed the road signs, the paved road turned into a gravel road that turned onto a more narrow gravel road that eventually led us to a rugged gravel path in the midst of rocky wooded terrain. Historical signs that told the story guided us to the ravine where the massacre happened. Standing on that ground, close to the place where innocent blood had been shed, I heard Father God's words from Genesis 4.10, The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Dave and I prayed, decreed, and declared, God's kingdom come, God's will be done. Back at home, Holy Spirit nudged me to find out more about the massacre. So I did. Here's what I discovered. Let's begin with some historical background that provides an understanding of the zeitgeist or spirit of the times. Legend of America is the online source for the following information. The Kansas-Nebraska Act of 1854 allowed settlers to decide by vote whether a territory like Kansas would be admitted to the Union as a slave or a free state. Activists from each side flooded the territory in an attempt to influence the outcome. This led to violent, often deadly clashes and political killings that resulted in the territory being nicknamed Bleeding Kansas. The Kansas Historical Society states events in Kansas and along the Kansas-Missouri border were part of the national conflict that ultimately led to the Civil War. Between 1854 and 1861, about 56 people on both sides of the slavery question were killed in various conflicts. The Meredicine Massacre was one of the most notorious clashes between pro-slavery and abolitionist forces. It took place in Kansas, near the Meredithine River that flows from Kansas into Missouri. This is how the Kansas Historical Society describes the incident. Missouri border ruffians, like Charles Hamilton, led raids into Kansas to steal goods and harass free staters. Lynn County was the site of some of the raids, including a particularly deadly one, May 19, 1858, Hamilton and some 30 other men rode through the village of Trading Post, captured 11 Free State men, and marched them into a ravine where they opened fire on them. The online resource Legends of America provides additional details. 
the 11 free state men that were captured by the pro-slavery raiders were nearly all known to Hamilton or some member of his party. They were not known to have taken any active part in the disputes, and having been neighbors of Hamilton, they had no suspicion that he meant to harm, especially as they were guilty of no offense but that of being free state men. The eleven victims were driven at a rapid pace into a deep ravine where they were lined up facing east. Hamilton then ordered his men to form in front of them and fire. Five of the men were seriously injured. One escaped unharmed by pretending to be dead and the rest murdered. News of the attack quickly spread within the community and even throughout the nation. Many were described as being horrified by the massacre, including the famous poet John Greenleaf Whittier, who commemorated the event by penning a poem that appeared in the September 1858 edition of the Atlantic Monthly magazine. A few weeks after the massacre, John Brown arrived on the scene. He built a two-story log fort just a few yards away from the ravine where the massacre happened. Brown and his men occupied their fort through the summer. John Brown was a determined, unwavering, and resolute abolitionist from the Northeast. Earlier in his life, while living in New York, Brown was able to support the abolitionist cause by becoming a conductor on the Underground Railroad and by establishing an organization that helped runaway slaves escape to Canada. In Kansas, Brown reacted to the sacking of Lawrence by leading his small group of followers to Pottawatomie Creek on May 24, 1856. His men dragged five unarmed pro-slavery men and boys from their home and brutally murdered them. Later, while living near the site of the Meredithine Massacre, in an act of retaliation, Brown led a raid into Missouri, freeing 11 slaves and killing the slave owner. John Brown's battle against slavery came to an end when he and his men raided the federal arsenal at Harper's Ferry on October 16, 1859. The John Brown biography found online at the American Battlefield Trust describes the raids like this. Unfortunately for Brown, nothing went as planned. Slaves living in the area did not join with him in the raid. Local militia and the United States Marines under Robert E. Lee put down the raid. John Brown was captured, and most of John Brown's men were either killed or captured, including two of his sons. Brown was tried quickly and found guilty of murder, inciting slave insurrection, and treason against the state of Virginia. John Brown was hanged on December 2nd. 1859. The biography continues, Brown's vision of ending slavery was marred by the deaths of innocent civilians, both in Kansas and at Harper's Ferry. The nation was divided over his actions. Many abolitionists called him a hero. Slave owners called him a base villain. People on both sides of the fence denounced Brown's use of violence. 
Although Brown's goal was noble, his methods were violent and lawless. As a result, his actions produced an even deeper divide in a nation that was already deeply divided. Today, 161 years later, on the anniversary of the raid at Harper's Ferry, we see the spirits of lawlessness and violence continue to be quite active and just as divisive. Following the example of identificational repentance found in Daniel 9, we repent. Let's get back to the Meredithine Massacre. Nineteen months after the massacre, the governor signed an act that prohibited slavery in Kansas Territory. On January 29, 1861, Kansas entered the Union as a free state. The Civil War began just a few months later, on April 12, 1861. The Bleeding Kansas Timeline as reported by Legends of America, states, Before the war ended in 1865, Kansas contributed 20,097 men to the Union Army, a remarkable record since the population included less than 30,000 men of military age. Kansas also suffered the highest mortality rate of any of the Union states. Of the black troops in the Union, 2,080 were credited to Kansas, though the 1860 census listed fewer than 300 blacks of military age in the state. Most of them, the black troops, came from Arkansas and Missouri. Again and again, I hear Father God's words from Genesis 4.10, The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Digging deeper into the story, according to Wikipedia, the name of the Meredithine River means Marsh of the Swans in French. Presumably, it was named in reference to the trumpeter swan, which was historically common in the Midwest. The same source also reports the river is notorious for flash flooding. Let's unpack these words a bit more. The symbolic meaning of a river, as described by Barbie Breathitt in the A to Z Dream Symbology Dictionary, is a powerful move of God that will impact a large number of people. It is formed by a convergence of unifying factors, abundance. Additionally, according to that same book, a river that is overflowing symbolizes increase, outpouring, harvest, fertile, prosperity, revival, judgment. Moving on to the phrase, Marsh of the Swans, as written in the Oxford Online Dictionary, a marsh is an area of low-lying land which is flooded in wet seasons or at high tide and typically remains waterlogged at all times. One synonym listed for marsh is swamp. Does that sound familiar? Regarding the word swan, in the A to Z Dream Symbology Dictionary, Barbie Breathitt says, A swan is a large, beautiful, graceful, elegant bird that is a good forecast of mature revelation revealed, joy signaling future of status and esteem, 
prosperity, influence, and wealth. Swans are symbolic of spiritual grace, beauty, and the anointing of the Lord. And as for the word trumpet, again quoting Barbie Breathitt in the same book, the symbolic meanings of trumpet include called to solemn assembly, journeying, victory, laying foundations, priestly anointing, prophetic revelatory message or utterance. Putting this all together, we have a swamp that is changed during the wet season or at times of outpouring to become the source of a powerful move of God that will impact a large number of people when it is activated by a convergence of unifying factors. The trumpet calls a solemn assembly to release prophetic revelation in the spiritual grace, beauty, and anointing of the Lord. It is also worth noting that Dutch Sheets and Chuck Pierce wrote in their book Releasing the Prophetic Destiny of a Nation that while on their 50-state tour in October 2003, they declared Kansas to be the revival state. Now with that background, we are armed, equipped, and ready to speak forth decrees and declarations over Kansas as directed by Holy Spirit. We decree and declare that every curse released by the violent shedding of blood on Kansas soil has been turned and must cease and desist. For it is written in Galatians 3.13, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. We decree and declare that because Kansas entered the Union, As a free state, freedom is in the DNA structure of each person from Kansas, if they are willing to receive it. We decree and declare that because this freedom was purchased with the shedding of blood and with great sacrifice by many of its people, and more importantly, by the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ, Kansas is indeed a free state. We decree and declare John 8.36, He whom the Son has set free is free indeed. We decree and declare that according to 2 Chronicles 7.14, as the people of Kansas that are called by His name, along with those that are called to intercede on their behalf, humble themselves and pray and seek God's face and turn from their wicked ways, then Father God will hear from heaven and he will forgive their sin, and he will heal their land. We decree and declare that as Kansas turns its heart to the Father, the Father will turn his heart toward Kansas. We decree and declare that Kansas, as the geographic center of the mainland of the United States, is symbolic of and represents the heart of America. We decree and declare that as the heart of Kansas is turned toward the heart of the Father, the heart of all America will be turned toward the Father. And just as it is written in Malachi 4.6, He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, a reconciliation produced by repentance, so that I, Father God, will not come and strike the land with a curse of complete destruction. We decree and declare that as the people of Kansas turn their hearts to the Father, 
He will turn his face of favor to Kansas, and the favor of God will permeate throughout the nation. We decree and declare revival in Kansas. We decree and declare a powerful move of God will flow out of Kansas that will impact a large number of people and spread throughout this nation and then extend to other nations. We decree and declare this outpouring will be birthed and formed by a convergence of unifying factors within the body of Christ, both in Kansas and with the other intercessors of the kingdom. The Meridacene Massacre became a personal call to action for me. Holy Spirit touched me with this story in a way that was like Jeremiah wrote in verse 9 of chapter 20. His word was in my heart like a fire burning shut up in my bones. For me, it was a definite call to battle, a call to spiritual warfare using the kingdom weapons that are available to every believer. Those weapons are described in 2 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. And the spiritual weapons are described with even more detail in Ephesians 6, verses 11 through 18, as written in the Passion Translation. Put on God's complete set of armor provided for us, so that you will be protected as you fight against the evil strategies of the accuser. Your hand-to-hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides, so you're protected as you confront the slanderer. For you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. Put on truth as a belt to strengthen you to stand in triumph. Put on holiness as the protective armor that covers your heart. Stand on your feet alert. Then you will always be ready to share the blessings of peace. In every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance, like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. And take the mighty, razor-sharp spirit sword of the spoken word of God. Pray passionately in the Spirit as you constantly intercede with every form of prayer at all times. Most of you know these scriptures. Most of you have probably already activated them. I'm encouraging you to continue to do so. As it's written in Galatians 6-9, let us not grow weary or become discouraged in doing good. If you've not found your place in the current battle, I am encouraging you to do so according to 1 Thessalonians 5-14 in the Passion Translation. Please know that you have a place in this war. I hear Revelation 4-1 encouraging you to come up higher and receive revelation. Then suddenly, after I wrote down these messages, I saw a heavenly portal open before me, 
and the same trumpet voice I heard speaking with me at the beginning broke the silence and said, Ascend into this realm. I want to reveal to you what must happen after this. I hear the call to battle for every one of us as written in Psalm 18, verses 33 and 34. Through you I ascend to the highest peaks of your glory to stand in heavenly places, strong and secure in you. You've trained me with the weapons of warfare worship. Now I'll descend into battle with power to chase and conquer my foes. This is a crucial time in history. This is a crucial time in our nation and all the nations. This is a crucial time in our personal lives. This is a crucial time in the lives of our children, grandchildren, and all future generations. I believe all of us are being called to ascend in worship and descend in battle. I believe according to Esther 4.14, all of us have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. I encourage you to pray, pray, pray. Go on prayer journeys. Join intercessory prayer calls. Come together in prayer with other believers. Make decrees and declarations with the leading of Holy Spirit. Get activated. And remember to vote. Your vote makes a difference. Your vote is important. Study the sample ballot for your location. And then go vote. After that, pray some more. Pray for the election of every candidate that stands for the kingdom values of life, truth, and righteousness. Pray that there will be no intimidation or corruption throughout the election process, both at the polls and during the ballot counting. Pray for a peaceful resolution and conclusion of the election, as well as a smooth transition into the next political term. Pray from the seat of victory, remembering 2 Corinthians 2.14 that says, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ. As we conclude this podcast, we want to thank you for listening. We bless you and your family and release faith for all your needs to be met and for you to know and experience the joy of the Lord that is your strength. And just one final reminder, please vote. I want to thank you for tuning in to today's God's Family Plan podcast. If you'd like to leave a prayer request, a suggestion, or a comment, you can do so on our Facebook page. That's God's Family Plan on Facebook. Until next time, this is Dave Burnett. May God richly bless you and your household. In Jesus' name, amen.